You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 467, Who Am I? Try and Beat Juliet in this week's music quiz, looking back at short-lived music magazines and the Beatles and the art of stagecraft. That's all coming up after Gabby Barrett and I Hope. I, I hope she makes you smile The way you made me smile On the other end of a phone In the middle of a highway Driving alone, oh baby I, I hope you hear a song That makes you sing along And get you thinking about her Then the last several miles turn into a blur, yeah This was a hit in America in 2019. It's been re-released in the last month. And uh, in the the week we record this, it's at number 15 and rising on the Billboard Hot 100. It's been at the top of the country chart for about a year. From her debut album, Goldmine, Gabby Barrett with Charlie Puth and I Hope. I rather like that. That's not the sort of thing that that would usually kind of enter my sphere. But I I think that's that. I I enjoyed listening to that. 11 out of 10 recommend would listen to 
Hey ho, let's go and um, welcome to the podcast from the <laughs> Terry Parish Council. Ramone, thanks for that. <laughs> hey ho, let's go. Um, it's it's episode... in the room tonight, Matthew, singing live. <laughs> Terence Zachum is. I am the Ramones, all of them. It's episode 467, 467. I'm Terence Zachum and just this week announced as Joe Biden's running mate, it's Juliet Harris. Uh, you see, I, I have this horrible feeling you're going to do. You've done what the postman did when I lived at university and shared a house with a girl called Kate Harris. Um, as there oh, was. Oh, I've got confused. So, yes, yeah, so we used to get we used to get our mail given to us, and we would then almost certainly swap most days because we would have Harris J and Harris K. So, uh, so yes. Having said that, could not be prouder to share a surname with Kamala Harris. I personally feel they should have picked her to run for the president in the first mm. place. But still, we are where we are. She's a great asset. And I'm looking forward to uh, what well, I very much enjoyed. I can't remember what the call was. But of course, Maya Rudolph has played her before on Saturday Night Live. It's a great effect. And there's been footage emerged of a video call between various sort of actors um, who are doing it live or something. And halfway through, it is announced that that he has uh, picked Kamala Harris. Uh, Maya Rudolph's reaction is very entertaining. <laughs> uh, she, she swears. And then someone says, oh, I think I think Maya's going to be quite busy from now on. And Maya Rudolph just goes, right. <laughs> so, I think it's really so- quite sweet. It's quite sweet that her name is Kamala and her kids call her Mamala. Well, I think, it's I think really... that's really nice. I, you see, I've been pronouncing it wrong, so it's Kamala. Fair enough. I've Kamala. been pronouncing her Kamala. But anyway, Kamala, Kamala it is. But um, yeah, and also her sister is her campaign manager, I think, mm. as well, or campaign chain or chair or something. And her niece was tweeting. And she just seems great. She just seems tough, yet not without humanity, really. So so I really hope that, that, that Kamala and Joe can, uh, can do it. They've got to, man. I, it's such a shame you're not the nominee because I haven't. <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, you know, it, there are a few bars to entry, as they say. The fact that what well, the birther theory would genuinely be true about me, wouldn't it? Because I was not born in the US. It is a shame though, because I had a great campaign slogan for you, oh, uh, considering not? the weather recently. Make Britain cool again. Hey, uh, indeed, yeah. Well, well, to be fair, I'm not right. If you say make Britain cool again that's i can run in britain can't i because i was born here that's that's okay and actually if i wasn't born here i think i'd still be able to run in britain so so yeah make make america cool again uh yeah you don't need just make it you've got to be over 35 years old as one of the conditions to run as president so in america yeah you have a minimum age limit 35 I mean, to be honest, that is the least of my problems when it comes <laughs> to president. But I appreciate that you've done the legwork on this. Thank you for your support. Uh, or, or, or to go Gordon Brown, thank you for all it is that you do, Terence. Indeed. So, <laughs> moving on from this ridiculous flight of fantasy, which I don't know where it's going. So I say... Thank you for the music quiz, the questions I'm asking, which this week. (laughs) Thank you for that. Yeah. Yes. This week is who am I? Which is a question that keeps me awake most nights. I was going to say there are days where I'm not entirely sure. But anyway, carry on. In this context, it's a quiz where you, the listener and you, Juliet Harris, battle each other to see who can identify 10 world famous, mostly in brackets. um, (laughs) Oh, yeah. Music personalities. Um, you may remember uh, having a much better uh, rem- mem- memory than me. You may remember we did an album sleeve quiz recently. This is going to be the same format. You get three clues for each of these world famous 
mostly um music personalities <laughs> three points if you get it with one clue two points for two clues one point for three clues so try and beat juliet the bbc radio 2 queen of quizzes <laughs> oh no that's gonna haunt me for the rest of my yeah, life in any way carry on they're nearly all massively famous but here's the first one who isn't it's a tricky one to get you started it's to sort of rattle your cage unsettle you and make you ill at ill at ease i'm glad Hank, that you're always here for me thanks you're always there for you um who am i potentially uh three questions three points first second for the second one for the last mm. right personality number one juliet yeah. are you mm. ready i'm okay. very much ready i stood against rebecca long bailey in salford and eccles in the 2015 general election on a platform of free energy free food free everything oh and these are these are music people you they're say. all music people they're all either in bands or solo artists it's not billy bragg is it I have been in a band since 1980. No, no, it wasn't. If you think if I go on, then you know it yeah. isn't. I have been in a band since 1980, and I neither sing nor play an instrument. Oh, is it Bez? It's Bez. It's isn't it? Bez. Two points for question number one. He, that's probably the most obscure uh, we're going to, to get there. So you, you should be. Uh, a little a bit more plain sailing from now on, but oh, let's see. By the way, a bonus bonus point here. Can you think of any other uh, people like Bez who have been in bands and long term and neither sing nor play an instrument? Oh, that bloke that danced in the Prodigy. What's his name? Uh, Leroy, I think his name was. Good one. I I thought of Chaz Smash in Madness. I don't uh, think he... yes, that's that's not a, that's not a bad idea. Andrew uh, Ridgely. Yes, true. Although I suppose he sang, didn't he? Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> may have may have had a microphone in front of him. Yes. Yes, fair enough. Um, one other one that I thought uh, from uh, the sort of nineteen eighties. So uh, it was their big era, big band in the nineteen eighties from uh, Liverpool. Um, I don't know. Paul Rutherford of Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Do you remember that fellow? <laughs> Yes, I do. That's not a that's not a bad that's not a bad shout. I'm trying to think. I I suppose Rowetta actually sang with the Happy Mondays. Oh so yes, yeah, I don't yeah. suppose she counts. Uh, I'm just trying to think if I can think of anywhere. I suppose people are the, the joke used to be a uh, pop bitch used to have a thing where they used to have someone that they would call the baggage from each pop band. <laughs> Craig Logan was the baggage from Bros allegedly that didn't really seem to do very much. So so I think they 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 put Tina from S Club Seven in the same role. So I don't know if you want. It depends how unkind you're feeling, I suppose. But it's always rumoured that Craig Logan's uh, contribution to Bross was not great. Question number two. Mm. Who am I? I co-produced Badfinger's fourth album with Todd Rundgren. Oh, I'm not sure. Could we move on to the next one, please? I was a member of the Travelling Wilburys. Um, Was it George Harrison? It's George Harrison. My, my third question was going was to be. It might have been McCartney because, of course, Badfinger, they wrote Come and Get It, didn't they, for Badfinger? Yes, so I, and yeah, they were on yeah. Africa, so I knew there was a Beatles connection. But I wouldn't have known without the second clue. I, I was going to say, I released a triple album called All Things Must Pass. I thought you would have, anyone hopefully would have got it from that. Uh, George Harrison, of course, a little bit of information here, lifelong devotee of Paramahansa Yogananda. 
Yes, indeed. Your fave, the man man slash person that you can say also shares his birthday with not quite as worldwide celebrity, my dad. There we are. Um, as we've said before, you, only by a trick of fate was your father not in the Beatles. Absolutely. Yes, that's the only thing. Number three. Yeah. I was born in Dorset in 1969 and that, grew up on the family farm. <laughs> that would be PJ Harvey. Thought you'd get that one straight away. <laughs> and by the way, but, but PJ Harvey, you know, she works extensively. I didn't know this until this week when I was putting this together mm. uh, for us all. Um, you know, she works extensively with John Parrish. Yeah. Did you know that he's the brother of Sarah Parrish, the actor? Yes, I did. But I only found that out a couple of years ago. Yeah. I was really surprised. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, we're talking about Sarah Parrish. She was in um, W1AA, the comedy and the Olympic thing with uh, Hugh yeah. Bonneville. Uh, and yeah. So, yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. And she was also in um, 2012. That was the Olympic thing. She that was, was the Olympic thing. Cutting it. I think she was in, was she in Broadchurch? I seem to think she might have been in Broadchurch. She's been in various sort of TV drama type things over over this way. Um, so three points for you there. That, right, I'm not going to give you a, a, a giveaway anymore. Like, like no, that's that. fine. I, I, I sense that that was my open goal. So so I took the chance that was presented. Yeah, I was born in Lucknow, India in 1940. Oh, gosh. Um, Cliff Richard. Very good. Three points straight in. Very good. The reason that I that I guessed at that was because I was recently in a quiz where it was who's the odd one out and it was Cliff Richard, Engelbert Humperdinck, a couple of other people and um, Apache Indian of Boom Shakalak fame. Oh, yes. We managed to work out that they were all born in India, apart from Apache Indian, who was born in Birmingham. <laughs> so actually, I've recently been sort of reminded of that fact. So I guess it would be one of those people. But I thought I'd take a punt on Cliff, as he seems to make fairly regular appearances in these quizzes. So so I thought it was I like... I thought I had to bring him in. I did tell you we'd be bringing him in regularly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Question five. I was born in Bay City, Michigan in 1958. In 1978, I moved to New York, New York City, to pursue a career in dance. Ah, uh, Madonna. Very good. Very she, uh, good. she um, allegedly took a, got to New York, got into a taxi, a dr- got into a taxi, and said to the driver, "Take me where the action is." Had <laughs> some like seventeen dollars to her name or no money at all, and the taxi driver knocked, dropped her off in a uh, Madison Square Gardens, I think. We're at the halfway point, and you have four and I think you have three, six, nine, eleven, thirteen points oh, from I'm five questions. Did, did we have a, a qualifying mark, by the way? Did we work oh, that out? Yeah, I should. No, I didn't. I should say out of um, thirty. Out of thirty, twenty is 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 you know you know your stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, twenty-five is very 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 good. Twenty-eight, music genius. 30 out of the stratosphere fine well i'm not going to be getting 30 although our listeners might so let's see number six my cousin scored the opening goal in the 1959 fa cup final oh damn it um i I know this but i can't remember um carry on yeah i I do know this but it's just not coming to the front of i was knighted by the queen in 1998 for my charitable work Um, no, I'm going to have to go for the third one. In the last three years, I have released a biopic movie and undertaken a three-year worldwide retirement tour. 
Ah, uh, Sir Elton John. Sir Elton John with one point. I know. Who I was the not... cousin, by the way? Pardon? Who was the cousin that scored the goal? Oh, somebody, Dwight. Ah, oh, of course, yes. Yeah. Hence Reginald, yep, and all yeah. that. Guys. Question seven. Mm. I dated actor Tom Hiddleston from the 1st of May 2016 to the 7th of September 2016. Oh, Taylor Swift. Oh, very good. Oh, re- you've redeemed yourself there after... I was going to say, El- after, well, El- after, after my thriller moment, yes, I really did redeem myself. Yeah. Uh, question number eight. I was born in New York City in 1986. My first name is Stephanie. Oh, I'm Lady Gaga. Three points again. Oh, you're on a roll here. Let's see if you can get uh, questions nine and ten in, in the in the one um, one clue. In one que- group, yes. Question number nine. I am a vice president of Wolverhampton Wanderers Football Club. Don't think she's going to get this, listeners, but we'll see. I was a, I'm a vice president of Wolverhampton Wanderers Football Club. Is it, Beverly, is it Beverly Knight? It is not. It's someone much, much bigger than that. Okay, fair enough. She's from Wolverhampton, though, so it's not a, not a completely outlandish guess. Our third album was written in a col- uh, in a cottage called Bronior in Wales. I'm hoping she doesn't get this because I've got a cracking third okay, question. Okay, give me the cracking third question. I held a door open for Juliet Harris. Oh, Robert Plant! Yes! <laughs> that is a truly excellent clue. Well done. And my claim to fame. Finally, number 10. Mm. In 1993, I performed the halftime show at Super Bowl 27. Oh, um, Michael Jackson? Oh, my. How did you get that? I, That's I, not I fair. Did, I guessed it would be some huge star. And That's I was thinking who the biggest star in the world would have been then. So so that was a guess. I'm sorry to have upset you by getting your quiz right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was so personal to you. I'm sorry. Well, I was hoping to say in 1984, filming a commercial, my hair caught on fire. But I didn't get <laughs> yeah. that. I'm sorry. That's to that. well, I'm, I'm dead. With Janet Jackson, of course. I guess him, his hair catching on fire really made him want to scream. Hey, hey, hey. Um, 18, 20, 22, 23, 24 points. Not bad uh, at all. I just missed the 25 know my stuff thing. They were excellent questions. I enjoyed those. But wait, Juliet, don't oh, go yeah. anywhere. And listener, don't go anywhere because guess what? There's oh. bonus questions. Yeah. It's a round of three bonus questions called three bonus questions. Oh, we're always hanging on tender hooks with that name. And they're multiple choice and they're all related to artists that we've we've just spoken about. Hmm, OK. Bonus question number one. Juliet Harris. Okay. Finger on the buzzer now. <laughs> Hope you're ready for this. It all Everything hinges all on these questions. Yeah, questions. absolutely. Multiple choice. In 1983, Cliff Richard released a single, a duet. Two to the power of love. It reached number 83 on the UK singles chart. But with whom? Did he duet? Mm. Four, four possibilities. Was it Kiki D, Janet Jackson, Madonna, or Mother Teresa of Calcutta? I'm going to say Kiki D. 
it was Janet Jackson. That's very unexpected. Isn't it unexpected? <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it when I researched this this week that That's he recorded a unexpected. single with Janet Jackson. I just, I, I, obviously, Mother Teresa was was there for the uh, to the make weight for, for the lols, yeah. Yeah, but I, I just, would have gone for Kiki D too, by yeah, the way. Yeah, that's very unusual. Oh, that, that, that's good trivia, though. That's good quizzing trivia. In 1968, mm. Led Zeppelin toured the USA for the first time. Mm. They were the opening act for, and it's one of these four acts, Vanilla Fudge, Diana Ross and the Supremes, The Monkeys, Charles Manson and the Family. Mm, um, Manson, the monkeys, Dinaros and the Supremes, Vanilla Fudge. Let's go for Vanilla Fudge. It's correct. It was Yay! Vanilla Fudge. And finally, I suspect if it was the Manson family, we might have heard more about it. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, a tasteless one to throw in there, really. Um, I like Vanilla Fudge. Oh, anyway, carry oh, on. Oh, 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 oh. I know. What can I say? What can I say? Let's move on quickly. Who played the guitar? Who played the guitar solo mm. on Michael Jackson's ah. Beat It? Was it Jermaine Jackson, Eddie Van Halen, Slash, or John McEnroe? Ah, now it's not the first one and it's not the last one. I believe it was Eddie Van Halen. It's Eddie, I, Eddie Van Halen. That's two think, out of three. Because I the think bonus. that Slash did the solo, one black or white. Oh, did he indeed? I think he did. Yeah, I think I think Slash did black or white, and Eddie Han Van Holen did beat it. Quite correct. So two out of three on the on the bonuses. Yeah, uh, yeah, good, good week for you, really. isn't it? Not a bad week at all. Excellent question setting. Thank you very much. Thank you for the softball of PJ Harvey. Um, <laughs> it's un, unusual for a quiz to include PJ Harvey and Taylor Swift and Robert Plant in the same and Bez in the same. So it's it's an unusual group of people, isn't it? I could hear in your voice, I said, uh, for the PJ Harvey one, I think I said, I was born in Dorset. And I got as far as that, and you kind of went, ah. <laughs> my one of my favourite sort of TV bloopers. I don't get me wrong. I'm I'm fond of the musicianship of Jules Holland, but as a presenter, increasingly I think of him as an excellent pa- pianist. I must admit. Mm-hmm. And I remember when she was touring a White Chalk and promoting it. So this must have been 2007-ish, I reckon. She went on Jules Holland, and he did the thing at the beginning where he goes around the room and goes, "We've got this marvelous person, blah," and everyone cheers. And he said, "Oh, we've got this." person and that person and uh somerset's finest pj harvey oh, and everyone cheered. No. and there was a very there was an almost imperceptible noise in the background which i think might have been her and you know and, and you could hardly see her but you could hear you heard something in the background as the crowd's cheering sort of subsided to which jules said dorset dorset's <laughs> finest to pj harvey so someone clearly went uh jules in the background no. but it was uh, I, I always think of her of a somerset's finest pj harvey no dorset Dorset's finest. So uh, thank you for that, Jules Holland. Coming up, tales of short-lived magazines. Uh, That's right after Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings.
unexpected Janet Jackson sub theme this week. It's almost <laughs> like, like, like there's production on this. I know it doesn't, that might not always seem unduly obvious, but anyway, um, that was uh, covering What Have You Done For Me Lately by Janet Jackson. I thought, I thought that was rather a good version. I'm, I was terribly sorry to hear of the death of Sharon Jones a few years ago. She was someone who got a profile, one of those rare success stories, got a profile later on in her life. And uh, I love their Christmas album. It's Holiday Soul Party. That is an essential Christmas listen for me. And I think they've done so many great songs. The Dat Kings, of course, were the backing band for quite a lot of the Amy Winehouse album, uh, Back Back, uh, to Black. Um, That classic album is on recently. They were interviewed for it. So um, I think that's a brilliant, brilliant version. Uh, Sharon Downs and the Dat Kings. That track's a heat wave in itself, really. It is, uh, yeah. A fine example of never giving up. You know, she worked as a prison officer and I think as a security guard before releasing her first record when she was into her forties. Um, so hope for hope yeah. for all of us. Yeah, you know. Indeed, yeah, and and also, and I think there's perhaps a perhaps a, a parallel with politics here. She was a singer of immense soul because she lived her life. She'd mm. done things in her life. She'd had proper jobs. You know, she she she'd had a life in a hinterland outside of being a brand new, freshly clean starlet and that's what made it so good i think mm. now there's been some stories and some nostalgia recently at the 40th anniversary of the sony walkman cassette player and it absolutely <laughs> revolutionized the way you could listen to music no longer tied to the record player in your house you know you could listen to your own choice of music on the move and experience that music <laughs> in a completely new way you know out in the world absolutely amazing and recently we talked about the demise of the music publication q magazine and mm-hmm. this all brought back into my mind a very short-lived magazine from the early 1980s sfx mm-hmm. um not to be confused this is a magazine now something to do i think with uh fantasy science and science fiction and so on yeah but this was sfx was a magazine on a cassette and it seemed like an exciting but i'd never experienced it yeah it, 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 for, for its life it used to appear up alongside um all the other you know uh, music papers the enemy the melody maker and the other music magazines at the time in the in the news agents it seemed like an exciting idea exploiting the new concept of uh, as we were just talking about personal cassette players and no more the tiresome ordeal of holding a magazine or paper you could you could Mm. now listen to it and it was 50 pence (laughs) for 60 minutes of music content and I I remember talking to it it, around I would think pardon I would have bought it had I been around. I yeah, think. 50, yes. Oh, yes, I did. I, I had the, the first few copies. I remember chatting to its editor, Max Bell, because he worked at the NME uh, at that time. And uh, he thought he got a winner. But the public, as so often, thought differently. And despite pulling off exclusives, like they had a very um, deep thought interview with Paul McCartney and other high profile stars, it, it only lasted 19 issues. So, you know, what went wrong? Well, you couldn't flick through it, of course. You couldn't look at the pictures. And um, it wasn't (laughs) weekly, so it it went out of date very quickly. Now, this period, it saw a number of short-lived music-based magazines. Richard Branson had Student Magazine, which was really just a vehicle to to sell his records through his his just started uh, Virgin record uh, business. Uh, the, the, The record business boomed. But the the magazine student failed and we had City Limits magazine, which interviewed me once. Perhaps that's why it failed. There was (laughs) number one magazine, Pop Swap, Pop World, Disco 45, that uh, published pop song lyrics before um, Smash Hits. All gone the way of SFX. Jules, 
I think you're going to tell us, though, that short-lived magazines weren't just a theme of, of my era in the 1980s. No, indeed. My, my generation, such as it is, uh, during the noughties particularly, we had, a, uh, we had a, a, a spate of magazines that crashed and burned, some almost comically memorably. But uh, before I go on to those, mm. um, it's interesting you should mention, we, we, obviously we did talk about Q the other week, yeah. uh, the fable of Vox magazine. I don't know if you remember Vox that, that started in... 1990 um right. it folded in 95 launched as a competitor to uh, emaps then booming q it initially sold over a hundred thousand copies a month so it was pretty successful yeah, um yeah. unfortunately q fought back and took half their staff oh. and uh, that's what caused oh. the end of vox so in the q vox war perhaps q won the battle but ultimately lost the war given that it did eventually mm. fold. vox was one of the only magazines to get behind radiohead era the bends when most my most rival mags had decided they were a spent force after creep which is interesting so it was vox that did some of the running there my sort of era I'm still going through my CDs at the moment. I'm still founding free CDs from magazines that have long since ceased to exist. Um, I think um, there was one called Bang Magazine, which was a, a rather <laughs> short-lived. The CDs were quite good, actually, but that was a mm. magazine that didn't quite know what it wanted to be. Um, there was one called Plan B, which I was really rather sad that that, that demised. I've still got um, the Bjork issue, which has a beautifully painted cover. It was um, Everett True. That was his brain child um and it uh, sort of embraced underground music it wasn't particularly commercial in who it who it kind of promoted um it was well written and it lasted for about five years actually um it folded in june 2009 um it blames the current economic climate combined with the situation of the music industry so so i was sorry when that kind of went because everett true's writing is always always interesting and there was a rather uh rather entertaining uh sort of departure from that well it, 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 it crashed and burnt brightly there was a magazine called pop world pulp <laughs> so okay. not pop word but pop word pulp that was uh it was a spin-off from the channel 4 tv show at the time which was reasonably popular it was on i think sunday mornings it was part of the t4 strand and it was oh, yeah. Simon amstel's big break and uh makita oliver and i it, it was one of those programs that became a sort of a cult thing really because it was very um it was a bit edgy it was reasonably low budget as uh, simon amstel was it was before he became i think a bit too cynical like he was on on never mind the buzzcocks mm. they used to do ridiculous things they didn't i think that the thing that people always seem to remember is <laughs> they once interviewed pop star lamar across a car park through a megaphone in a segment that was called Lamar from afar so <laughs> so that was very much the kind of tone so they thought perhaps not unreasonably that they would try and have a go at doing a magazine but they seem to get it a bit wrong in that looking at this front cover you'd think pop world in the, you know, Pop World was largely about, well, pop, wasn't it? Because that was, that was the clue within the name. Yeah. They decided to launch this magazine as a direct competitor to NME and Kerrang. Now, if they tried to corner the <laughs> match hit style area of the market, you'd think, yeah, all right, that works. Why would you release a magazine as a time for the TV show when the magazine you're releasing, this issue here, the front cover features the Claxons, um, who I like, but I wouldn't necessarily say they were sort of Pop World. Um, mm. Enter Shikari and Fallout Boy. And That's not going to get the punters flying into the news agents, is it? Plus, plus, Arctic Monkeys, The View, Mark Ronson, Maximo Park, 
somebody who I can't read. So, so it's it's um so how many issues do you think Pop World Pulp managed to get to before it folded? Oh gosh, you know I'd never heard of it. I'll just I'll say ten. I don't know. It folded after two issues. Two issues on my the first God. of which had a print run of a hundred and thirty grand, a hundred thirty thousand. How many copies do you think sold of that? Oh, I dread to think half of them. Nine thousand. Oh my God! No, and, oh my. And, and Someone lost me- a lot of money there. In a memorable phrase, shell-shocked publisher Darren Styles said, and I my hat off to him for this level of candor. The magazine has bombed in a way nobody connected with it could ever have envisaged. Oh I mean, I wasn't connected with it and I could have envisaged that. But I feel for the poor old staff of Pop Word Pulp. Uh, also, shout out to King Size, which is where I, I think I might have bought one of these at the time or had it bought for me. Um it was very um so i was at i was at sixth form college during the age of new metal um various awful bands i can't was say new like metal spell n-u yes it was i, I regret it, it might be yeah. i know um but so so it was bands like there were some bands connected with it that were okay but i i tend i tended to prefer uh, the the only thing i liked about new metal was that it got me into grunge because that's what my friends that were listening to that were also listening to so i then got into stuff like nirvana and the pixies as a result but a king sides Basically, I don't know if you're familiar with Limp Biscuit, but the uh, the Fred Durst, the lead singer of Limp Biscuit, featured on the cover of one of these issues. Big shorts, lots of tattoos, back to front cap, um, very much. Uh, so it was uh, EMAP targeted um, mature rap metal extreme extreme sports readers with king size. <laughs> it was launched as a monthly companion to Kerrang. Um, that lasted four issues. And it did get, it got a fairly good, its advertising sales were very good. So it was a bit different to Pop World in that at that time, you'd think this might succeed because it seemed to be reasonably well targeted. The fact that it attracted so many advertisers makes me think that the general feeling of the industry was that it was probably a reasonably good bet. It was the side companion to a magazine that was always already selling pretty well. Kerrang's always done reasonably well in that it's got a market that it knows, which is metal. And so it's always, it's always, you know, it's always been quite quite good as a result but yep king sides founded after four issues is not quite as entertaining as a poor old pop world pulp but still so so i mean there were various attempts to launch magazines that were that you know that that, that had a sort of music backing uh, you know the attempts to kind of restart the music press i think the the, the one that the, the one example i've mentioned which i think would genuinely be worth re- reading again is plan b mostly because of everett true because that seemed to genuinely be focused on good music writing and it's very telling that that and vox were the ones that lasted the longest yeah i think not surprisingly one of the earliest success stories about pop music magazines is linked to the beatles um beatles monthly started in august 1963 and with a break in the early 70s coinciding with the breakup of the beatles it ran on until 2003 and it was i remember it was quite expensive at the time a couple of bob for an issue um was was a lot in the 1960s uh 10 10 pence now um that was a lot then and i can remember it on the shelves of uh of wh smith and but its, it's circulation was nearly 350,000 per month at one point the kind of sales figures uh, that those magazines we're talking about can only dream about but i think this all goes to show 
that from the 1960s to the modern day, if you launch a magazine, you should have very deep pockets and very shallow expectations. I think that's a very fly way of putting it, Franklin. If only if only the people at Pop World Pulp had kept their expectations realistic, yes. then it wouldn't have bombed in a way that nobody could have envisaged. Coming right up, the art of stagecraft, subtitled, Should the Beatles Have Been More Entertaining? (laughs) (laughs) Anyone would think we were keen on the Beatles, wouldn't they? That's right. After this gorgeous track, suggested by Claire Woodward, it's Bill Domain. Leroy, boy, where you been all this time? Haven't seen you for ages. When last we met, they were Jones and Dick. There's only one thing to do And I would guess you did it We want to know where the story goes Did you get this thing together? Get this thing together
heard this uh, for the first time earlier this week, and it's already on my list of all-time favourites. It's a lovely, warm tribute to Todd Rundgren. It was brought to my attention by the splendid Claire Woodward uh, from the 2017 album Transatlantic Romantic, Bill Domain and Leroy Boy. I enjoyed that very much. And I again, our listeners have such a great hit rate with uh, with suggestions. They're really good. It's uh, I've, I've learned I've learned about some great music through that. So thank you, Claire, and everyone that suggests stuff that is great. A theme that we, we, we like to explore from time to time is the art of stagecraft for musicians. And the thing is, I've moved from having what I thought was a fixed position on this, which was that hmm. I feel... I feel shortchanged if a musician or a band just go through a set without engaging with the audience between songs. I've, I've always said that it brings the artist and the audience together if the fourth wall is broken and the audience feels they're in accord or part of the deal. And I don't mean, God forbid, audience participation. Definitely not mm. that. But the personal <laughs> people on stage, oh, no. Everybody now, come on, I need your help on this. Sing along with... No, no, I'm no, no thank say, you. Given your famous love of the general public, no, I'm no, not no. entirely convinced not that's you. No, but you want to... If the, the people on stage, talking between songs with, with a sort of sense of coherence and some some meaning, that's the way that I was, I was thinking. But earlier this week, I was watching... watching Footage of the Beatles playing live in the 1960s, and very rarely did they venture further than saying, um, this, this one is from our next record, it's called Help, and in, on they go. And they, But of course, then they rarely played for more than 30 or 40 minutes. So, um, you know, I suppose they, they didn't have time for any lengthy anecdotes <laughs> and uh, not not that anyone could hear them anyway. But maybe there's an argument that we expect too much, Jules. We don't. We don't expect opera singers to stop mid-opera and chat about the aria they're about to perform. And we don't expect Mike Rylance at the Royal Shakespeare Company to say, well, here's a good line, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, when he's playing, I don't know, Iago in Othello. Mm-hmm. We, you know, our expectations are different. Why should it be different for musicians? I think that's a really interesting question. It's a it's a really new way of looking at this. I think it's great. So uh, so just before I get to that, whenever I think of people talking to the audience, I think of um I, one of the episodes of The Simpsons, I think where Ralph takes Lisa to see Krusty the Clown's anniversary <laughs> show, whatever it is, and Krusty the Clown reading off cue cards says, "And now it's time for my favourite part of the show." talk to the audience oh god this is always death so so i always think of that in terms of of audience participation i think i'm sort of with you on this Mm. i think i'm trying to think what's different about live music compared Mm. maybe with theater and opera you know that you are going to watch a story being told and and you know that you're watching, I suppose, what is essentially a work of fiction, aren't you? So I guess you are suspending disbelief and you are trying to uh, basically you're jumping in to the story, aren't you? Whereas I suppose if it's live music, you're it's all about the songs rather than necessarily an overarching narrative. So maybe I don't know, may, maybe that might be a, a factor in it. I'm not sure. Certainly when I go and see bands play live, of course, you know, you're your equivalent of Todd Rundgren and both of our Beatles is PJ Harvey for me mm. is into that on this show. And she 
is uh, a very it's, it's unusual for her to talk very much between songs she always says thank you very much um but she doesn't really say very much beyond that which is fine and to, you know her she her songs do the talking and i think everyone understands that but when i did go and see her live last in brixton i think on halloween in 2016 she had a bit of a an issue with singing the first very high line of a song and her voice gave out halfway through that line. And so she uh, she sort of coughed and had some water and the band kept going. And then she sang the line again. And when she got to the end of the line safely, various people cheered loudly at the front. And I thought that she might ignore that. And mm. she actually waved a fist in the air in triumph and carried on singing. And actually, when people... Maybe less is more when it comes to crowd interaction. Mm, maybe. You don't interact very much when you do. In- if you do interact on occasions, maybe that makes it easier to make a moment of connection. I'm I'm not sure. I mean, this this article that you very kindly sent me on stagesuccess.com. Where has this this website been all my life? <laughs> I, I I I play in a band sometimes, and we talk quite a lot between songs because it's part of our shtick, really. That that we are. I wouldn't say we are a comedy band, but we are quite funny and we are the first to admit that our well I'm the first to admit in terms of my ability that my chat far exceeds my musical ability so so in a way that's kind of part of our sort of show really so so we would say it's part of the stage show but um firstly I like the way that this is this kind of explains how you should be on stage sort of talking and stuff and the sign off is and I might start using this as a sign off on my email as always rock well and often so uh, so I will be writing an email and it says in brackets afterwards and speak well and selectively there are various point bits put in bold um don't be tempted to talk too much it says in bold and block capitals which is a little bit startling it says no one wants to hear you talk between every song which is news to me frankly so maybe mm. i need to, and it talks about but then when it says i'll mix up your transactions by using a few stories a few one-liners and times we go right to yeah the that's next. what i want yeah yeah although having said that i don't want it to be that prescriptive Mm-hmm. so i i don't i don't want it i would like it to be spontaneous rather than oh well this is this is i'm going to tell this story now and and that sort of thing because of course when you go and see bands on a tour if it, it becomes very obvious if you see a band more than once in the same tour if ad libs are always in the same place every single time if you see what i mean mm-hmm. so so and and if live performance is about a moment then you know, I quite like the idea of, of the talking being a bit more spontaneous. But I, I do think, and I'm not just saying this because of the PJ Harvey thing, but I do wonder if less is more. You know, I, I saw Embrace many years ago and uh, the greatest heckle I think I've ever seen. They don't they don't talk very much between songs. And this is what was so memorable. And the band actually took it very generously. But they they talked about and they said, this is our next song that's been a big hit in Germany. We're very big in Germany, apparently. And someone shouted, so's David Hasselhoff. And actually, <laughs> they took it very well. But because they talk very little between songs, it's, it's moments like that that are more memorable, I think. So I think when we do see live, music if we're going to see someone performing songs for us that I suppose we're kind of taking it more as being their own experience and their I don't want to say gift to us but I can't think they're sort of giving us something I think in a way that people performing a fictional work written by somebody else aren't I don't know if that's a I don't know if that's a that's a split I'm not sure Incidentally, I was just having a thought there, remembering, just talking about the Beatles playing live a minute ago, um, 
Yeah. Uh, one, one of my older she just remind, reminded me of this. I just remembered one of my mm. older cousins, about 10 years older than me. She went to see the Beatles at um, Hammersmith Odeon in 1965. And when I next saw her, I was really excited because I was I'm 10 years old, but I love the Beatles. When I next saw her, I asked her what they played. And she said she didn't know. She couldn't identify even one song because of the screaming. So, uh, yeah. No, so no wonder they gave up playing live. They stopped playing live, wasn't it, mm. really? No, I'm just thinking about what you were saying. And it's this is what's um, making me rethink my posture on this. Because uh, in, in with what you were just saying, one of the best... Um, opening salvos that's good one of the best opening mm-hmm. salvos I've seen by a musician was Elvis Costello in Hyde Park in 2013 and he, is, he and his band came on stage and just hammered out about 10 of his hits in a row uh, right at the beginning before he spoke a word and it was just magnificent because it just fitted the moment on a summer's evening um, and the sun was just going down in Hyde Park and here comes Elvis Costello and his band and just it went bang, bang, hit, 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 hit. Oh, that's, that's it, great. I can it see was that. fantastic. Well, yeah, absolutely. I think the key is perhaps if you're if you're going to talk to the audience, prepare what you're going to say. That doesn't mean, you you know, you prepare the ad libs and you know, repeat them every no. night. I don't mean that. But prepare what you're going to say. Don't mumble. Um, no in jokes with the band. I always think that's awful. Yes, when you, that is people, irritating. Yeah, or even worse, um, people off stage, you know, grinning and mm. making gestures at people. So speak up, be informative, amusing, as you were saying, and be brief. But I suppose if you can't do that, then PJ Harvey style, say nothing at all. Absolutely, or say very little. Just yeah. Just- very sort of you know gracious and then occasionally when you do say things it's you know it's it it, it has more of an impact I think I yeah I I am um, yeah I think it's all about embracing your own personality I think I certainly think working out what your stage personality is as a performer is probably a good idea and if you don't happen to have one just not have one if you see what I mean or or or, or you know if you, if you are a bit quieter then be a bit quieter on stage mm-hmm. and that's sort of what makes PJ Harvey very interesting as a performer particularly her early stuff which is really loud and often quite angry and quite intense and she's quite a quiet small dignified woman really and that's that's always quite that's always makes her and actually that contrast makes her an interesting show she says it best when she says very little at all. As, as Ronan Keating so nearly sang, again, Ronan Keating and PJ Harvey in the same sentence, an unusual turn of events. We say this every week, but we mean it. Thanks very much for listening. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for continuing to spend your time with us. Thanks also to Hilly and Rona. Yes, as always, thank you. Now, if you're not joining the Biden campaign, well... You'll have time. You'll have time to appear on the radio, I suppose. I will. Yes, I will obviously show my support for for the campaign by uh, playing old records on the radio. I feel that's the I say it best when I play old records on the radio. Do 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 do, etc. Um, yes. Yeah, so I will be doing my Saturday social show on Saturday evening from five till seven p.m. on my Mixler channel, mixler.com. So m i x l r.com and search for my name. Um, that's Northern Soul Motown. We'll be doing quite a lot of Philadelphia soul this week. Having a look at that so we'll be doing that from five to seven and then on sunday evening a bit of a different vibe uh, i do something called smooth sailing which is a uh, yacht rock mor classic pop um just sort of uplifting sort of radio friendly type tunes um on a sunday evening from seven till nine same place excellent 
Now, to play us out, a smashing track from an album I didn't even know existed until this week. Well, so so I, uh, as regular listeners know, I'm still doing this slightly kamikaze trip through all of my CDs, trying to put them, all of my many CDs, it turns out, trying to put them on my laptop. Um, and I have an awful lot of Mojo cover mount CDs, lots of magazine cover mount CDs, but particularly Mojo, because A, they're always really good, and B, they went through a phase over several years of focusing on every individual Beatles album and each issue that focused on an album came with a CD of bands covering the entire album there are some brilliant moments on there which I, I might uh, introduce a few more into the podcast because mm. some of them are, are really great this comes from they did a cd called harrison covered i think or harrison uncovered which is basically george harrison tunes and i really like this i it came across my ears the other day and i i just i just thought it was lovely i've always enjoyed emmy the grace as a performer perhaps rather under heralded really uh, me and a really good friend of mine who were both in our mid-30s and women are very keen on her she sort of was producing records at a similarish time to people like Kate Nash and, and Lily Allen in the sort of late noughties, early tens. But um, I think this is a really lovely sung version um, of a great song, it has to be said as well. And it's always, I think this song has always been seen as a little bit of a novelty and that it kind of sort of threw back to the Beatles and that sort of thing. But I like this because it finds a sort of wistfulness in the song, I think, and I, I enjoy it. So this is Emmy the Great covering George Harrison's very good all those years ago. I'm shouting all about love While they treated you like a dog When you were the one who had made it so clear All those years ago I'm talking all about how to give They don't act with much honesty
You've been listening to a Parish Council production.